Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels who. And welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. My name is Sean Morley. And my name is Jack Lewis Evans. In this episode, we ask, why do reactionaries only get angrier despite their overwhelming victories? How does social media make big bucks from boosting Nazis? And why does Gumtree keep deleting the bounty I'm always posting for my boss's head in a box? Lock and load. It's time for the culture war. The culture war. And if you want to fund our brave boys fighting on the kaleidoscopic fronts of the ever-expanding culture war, you can airdrop us some rations at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party, where you will unlock some illicit salvos from the ideas bunker. Do not point them at your face and keep out of reach of children. If you'd like to help us win the war for hearts and minds, please share this episode on social media. Leave us a five-star review on your chosen podcast application, both of which help us recruit more troops to the cause. I'll do my part. What do you mean? It's a reference to Starship Troopers, I'm saying. I'll do my part. That's like a film about, like, fascism and, and it's in Starship, in Starship Troopers, they say, I'm doing my part. Okay, well... I'm doing my part. Yeah, oh, okay, well, I can say it my way. I, I, you know, I can say whatever I want. It's wrong, and you're always wrong. You can say whatever you like, but if you're referencing that film, it's clearer if you say, I'm doing my part. Well, it doesn't really sound like I can say whatever I like. It sounds like you're telling me what I can and can't say. Well, no, I'm just explaining to you why what you said is incorrect and letting you know a better thing to say. And then you're doubling down on the wrong thing. Oh, okay, so now I'm not allowed to double down to avoid thinking about my feelings? Well, no, I haven't said that. You are cancelling me. You're literally talking on a podcast right now. Uh-huh, and that is what people who are cancelled do. Oh, shit, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. I'm sorry, Sean. It's okay, I forgive you. I love and respect you, Jack. Let's have fun doing an episode together. Yeah. <laughs> Wahoo! Whee! Do you think a caveman would like a Big Mac? Yes. Do you really think so? Absolutely. Every, I've been asking this question a lot. It's been one of my questions lately. It's just a sandwich. It's not just a sandwich. A, it's not just a sandwich. A Big Mac is a hot sandwich. A Big Mac exists within the genre sandwich. This yes. I do not know. Yeah, but yeah. you saying it's just a sandwich, I think is a, is a crime against language. <laughs> Why? And Big Mac is a full-on hedon machine. It's been like forced evolution, not to be the best sandwich, uh. but to pull the most primal <laughs> feelings out of you. And what is more primal than a caveman? Yes, but you would need to get... I think I can only have a Big Mac because I have been incul inculcated in a mm. culture where mm. that is the apex sandwich. No, I think everyone likes a buddy. It's a, it's a meal where you don't need a plate. Caveman's going to be big on that. They will, they will innately understand that. They might find bread weird. They might not yeah, know about bread. bread. Bread's strange. 
They'll think it's a kind of fur. They'll think it's to keep the, the meat hot. They will be most suspicious of bread. I, I think there will be some scrutiny of the Big Mac. But mm. once you, if you've got a Big Mac too, and you do, and you did a thing where you like, as if explaining food to an alien, and yeah. you, you bite it and you go, mmm, and then like, yeah. you know, show that it's nice, then I think the, the, the caveman will be slightly skeptical and then bite it and then love it. And then you could give them like a pastrami sandwich and then really enjoy that. I think there are certain experiences that would be so overwhelming for a caveman, they would just instantly reject it, like on an absolute reptile brain base of the skull like I think spinal a sandwich column, with nerve endings a sandwich with branson pickle would trigger that response i, I don't think there's anything would, in the caveman's think... world that would that would i think the big mac they're going to get it it's, it's it's just hot meat with some other stuff they don't necessarily get but i think the flavors of a pickle a branston pickle like a british pickle that's not in the same genre like a, an, i think a lot of other chutneys they could maybe take but the, the branston pickle would send them no I you think the disagree. branston pickle is more accessible than a big mac to a caveman, yes. 100% because they're going to be eating roots and herbs. They're going to be eating roots and herbs, my friend. They would have had horseradish. They would have had ginger. Not, not in pickle. For, it's so sweet and strange. Not in pickle. Branston pickle. I would go, if you have the exact same thing, right? If you've got a, So option A is Big Mac with Big Mac sauce on it. We'll an send option, them mad. And option B, you won't send it mad. And option B, I think you'll be initially skeptical and then eat it and like it. <laughs> send mad. Option A... Big Mac, uh, you know, yeah. standard. And then option B is what I'm going to call the madman's Big Mac, which is instead of Big Mac sauce, Branston pickle. If Calms you him down. Whoa, forget <laughs> fucked. You have a fucking seizure. You give a little bit of the Big Mac meat and they start going mad, right? They think they're a shaman. And then you give them a little bit of Branson and their heart rate and their breathing slows. Not slurs. at all. Oh, the Branson's oh, going to send them in into the room, fucking space, the mate. They're not going to have tasted anything that sweet. Okay, here's some other experiences. You tell me if it's going to send them to yeah, space. Yeah, keep going. I'll keep telling you. Let's, so hopefully we agree on at least some of these. Start easy. Yeah. Nemesis roller coaster. Caveman on that. Yeah. Um, is it is it like a normal busy day at the park? The entire structure and all the infrastructure it needs to run mm. has just been taken back to the pre-Neolithic era right. and one caveman's been boarded on by you. I think, like the demonstration of the food, if you could have a go on the nemesis and they could watch you and then watch you get off and be safe, they would understand it. But I think I don't think you could, like... It, I, obviously, you're not going to share a language with the caveman, but I don't think you could explain, even beyond that, if you share, if you could speak cave person, you would not be able to explain your nemesis. I think... As the cave person, as the cave person, right? And yeah. I know you, and I know you're weird, or you're from somewhere else, but mm, I trust yeah. you. Yeah, okay. And then you show me the nemesis, and I see it, and I'm like, that's mad. That's yes. like a religious experience. And then yeah. I show you going on it, and you go around it, and you go, I must have misunderstood, because that can't... <laughs> can't be what it looks like yeah and i trust my friend and you go on it and you go it was what it looks like and then i'm going mad that's the i'm gone you we would you know okay no i would after if i was a caveman and let's say i'm also my age right i'm right. not like i've got no plasticity left I've got, <laughs> you're close to new ideas uh, yeah. well i'm not as, as close as i am now yeah yeah, yeah. which is semi <laughs> the door is ajar I, I would come out of the nemesis changed and different, and my tribe would reject me as a stranger. I'd be left to die when the snows come. I think you get straight back on the nemesis. Line of cocaine? Is this another experience, or is this related to going back on the nemesis? Because I think you shouldn't go on the nemesis with co on cocaine. I think you could. I actually think it might make it more palatable. <laughs> no, I think you have a heart attack and die. Um, okay, line of cocaine in isolation. Well, <laughs> nemesis will be more palatable on cocaine. I think when you've already gone a bit mad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if I, don't I know what was. You mean. <laughs> 
let's say it wasn't cocaine. It was like um, a psychedelic. Okay. And I was hallucinating. Mm. Well, then the roller coaster won't be interpreted correctly. Right. And then cocaine, you know, it amps you up and it does change your psychology and it makes you want sensations more. Mm. The roller coaster and cocaine as experiences are pushing in the same direction. There'd be a certain harmony. They'd work in chorus. I think a caveman would do cocaine if they were familiar with snorting stuff. And they probably would be. Mm. Yeah. And they that, probably would I be. I think if they'd never snorted something, I think snorting something is like <laughs> that, quite that's a... That's a bottleneck. <laughs> that's a bottleneck, I think. That's a bottleneck. I think a caveman yeah. would be sceptical of that. I think cavemen will snort things. I think there's no health and safety. There's no, like, don't do that. <laughs> Well, there's no health and safety, you know. If I grew it up strange feral, to snort I'd stick things up my nose, I think, because I wouldn't really... Until it goes really bad... Would you grind something into dust and then snort it into your fucking lungs? <laughs> into well, your bloodstream? If, if I did, it would just be rocks, wouldn't it? It would just yeah, be rocks. Well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying you to see my it. lungs and it's like an entire paving slab. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I think so far of the things you've said... <laughs> on a spectrum of like stuff you could get a caveman to do easiest big mac second easiest nemesis roller coaster and then i think they really wouldn't like i think they would i think you could convince them to have a bite of a branston pickle sandwich and then they would go mad at you and attack you once they tasted it they'd think you've tricked tried to trick them and then even more difficult than that is getting them to snort cocaine i think once they're on the cocaine they'd probably be all right but yeah, I think snort it's it again. Snort. Them to yeah. 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 yeah, it's, it's snort anything, one that's the problem. With the second dose, it's it's getting them to stop taking it that will be yeah. the issue. Because yeah. they're going to be really they're strong. They're going to really like cocaine. Yeah, yeah. And they're not going to really feel any sense of pain at that point. Yeah, yeah. you have <laughs> endangered yourself by giving them cocaine. Yeah. That's the bit where you go mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a caveman will understand a flag? No. I think for a lot of cavemen... You know, not ready for certain ideas at certain times. Mm. You well, introduce a coked up caveman who's had a buddy. Yeah, if they've been to like, if they've had a full English, yeah, you could get them on symbolism. Yeah, at some point, ingredients become a meal, mm. right? And they'll yeah, know yeah. meat and two veg. That that's symbolism, right? You could right. become patriotic about that. Yeah, nationalism comes in through the tummy. The one thing I will say is good about England. Uh-oh. Is the full English. Full English is pretty good. Yeah. Not as good as the full Scottish, but... Full Scottish is yeah, fantastic. The primo, yeah, yeah, the king. Mm. You know flag shagging? Yes, yeah, familiar with this. I don't think you, they fuck the flag. Do you really not? I don't think they do that on their TV appearances. I think that would make yes. people angry. I think if you covered the Union Jack in cum, the Union Jack off would the be Union unpopular. I think that would be unpopular. Well, no, what you mean is un unbroadcastable. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think it would be popular? Yes, absolutely. With the same target demo as of people who like flags, you think they want it to be covered in cum. The thing about coming on something is it's not only an ambiguous act, but that ambiguity is like cuts to the very extremes of the sentiment that you could be trying to express. Okay. Like, it means you... <laughs> You're saying if it's showing that you really, really like the flag, maybe yeah, that's you, okay, but it's not clear it, if that is the case. If you come on something, you either despise it or adore it. Mm. With a few ex utilitarian exceptions. Utilitarian exceptions such as? Just a tissue. Ah, okay, there's nowhere yeah, else for this like come pragmatic, to go. Yeah, I have, I, I have no strong feelings about the tissue. Mm. 
you know, it's not an act of, it's not me denouncing the tissue, nor do I love the tissue. Yeah. It's more, um, I don't want it to go on anything else. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't hate a toilet, but anything else I shit on, people think I'm doing a protest. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually think toilets are great. Great, toilets are great, yeah. Yeah, but I don't love them. Yeah, God, be clear. <laughs> Just to be clear, none of this could be taken out of context. I think we're safe. <laughs> the the union flag, the butcher's apron, which I believe is its true name, people will say, mm -hmm. you can't call it the union jack. It's only the union jack on the high seas. On land, it's the butcher's apron. Named after Abra Abraham T. Butcher, the guy who used the guy to chop people up and put them into pies. <laughs> and I'm saying... I don't like what you do with the pies, but this this apron's gorgeous. Yeah, that's this really nice. I'd like to yeah, come yeah. on that. Yeah, I'm going about to found a country. Um, I'm about to start a big imperialist project. Yeah. I take that design. He said, no. He said, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me that design. <laughs> <laughs> do you think flag shagging has any effect on the target demographic, which is people that really love the flag? Bootlickers, the likes of Keir Starmer and such tool up with flags the flag heads look at that and they're like this is lies they've misunderstood the dog whistle for the point of like yeah. if people are using the flag yeah. as like a dog whistle to show a lot of other views yeah. they can't share yeah and then someone else who they know shares none of those views and in many ways no views <laughs> goes yeah i love the flag as well in fact when i see a transit van i get hard yeah people watching that go that doesn't seem true yeah. Because you ate a sausage roll with a knife and fork and a serviette. <laughs> so I just don't believe you. <laughs> the UK flag is, uh, the brand is, is irreversibly damaged and it's a bad flag. I think it was damaged mostly, okay, obviously it take a big hit during the um, massive multi-century long imperialist project where the rest of the world learned correctly to resent mm. this nation. But then I think it took its final blow during Cool Britannia. Yeah, I think that was what, <laughs> for me, it isn't even the imperialism that's my objection to the Union Jack. It is being reminded of Oasis and mm. Blur. <laughs> but then imagine like holding both of those in your head. It's like you're imagining like the plunder of the British Raj, but it's also now the, the like, very symbol of that is on Jerry yeah. Hallowell's dress <laughs> as she's singing a song about loving, about how hugging is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Do people go that hard on flags elsewhere? Because even within, like, you don't see the Welsh flag taken to that degree. America is one of those useful ones where, like, UK gets to wash its hands of its own nationalism because America seems to be a bit more tasteless, although mm. it comes in the exact same form. Saluting, I think they could bring in saluting the flag at the start of every school day and singing the national anthem to UK schools if the Tories are in for another 10 years. I think they'd have to bring in some kind of um, pedantic anti-American twist on it to show that this yeah. is Britishness and Britishness comes first. And it means they'll have to like get down on one knee and then like kiss a sword and then recite a little poem in Latin <laughs> and then wipe their tears on the flag. <laughs> is, anywhere, is anywhere else that flag brained though? Like my favourite flag other than the Welsh flag is the... Uh... The Mozambique flag. The AKs. It, it's got a symbol on it, which is a book, uh -huh. uh, like a farmer's hoe and an AK-47. Learn, farm, shoot. Uh, live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, it's quite nice going into a culture and you've got, th and you've got three verbs to go off. Yeah. yeah you don't yeah. get a tourist information. You've got three verbs. You know, what do I want to do here? Well, I'll do a bit of learning. Maybe it's still we feel we could do a bit of farming. But, you know, if you're really up for it. Option three. Could pop off a few rounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Do you reckon they've got two of them in the background when they do like a, a speech on on telly with a flag like that you've got a very different connotations to the uh the union flag as well i, well, I think all the flags should be like redesigned i think the idea of a flag mm. i mean firstly i can't remember there's like this word for it of like countries from other continents and cultures that have like no shared cultural overlap mm. now need to like decide what their favorite flower and animal and make a song that's in like the western standard meter and they need to have this rectangle because if they don't then the un are like what are you playing at this isn't statehood (laughs) you have to like dress yourself a little bit as like a western european state and be like look we've got a cloth rectangle yeah we've got the logo that should yeah that should confirm that we've got a logo we've got the brand done we're on the socials please <laughs> let us into the un <laughs> you really get one go as well don't you i think you can only change the flag if you have another you become a new country like there's a revolution and you are a different nation state i don't think you can just revamp your flag it needs to have something like stunningly wrong with it for the mm. political will to make a new flag because flags are always associated with conservatism yeah and conservatism is associated with don't change the flag so (laughs) it's kind of a closed circle my favorite flag i think is nepal's flag what's nepal's flag got it is not a rectangle yeah it is two triangles oh yeah right angled triangles one on top of the other but they are different sizes and dimensions and the maths required to make it exactly to their specifications Mm. is very difficult Mm. and no other country do you know how like flags are the stand-in for countries like in emojis and just yeah, in yeah, like yeah. sports stuff well their flag cannot be represented in any like <laughs> list of countries mm. because not only is it very hard to get the proportions right it's not a rectangle and cannot become a rectangle and they refuse is there's no rectangle version no what, what do they get then some transparency they get it displayed wrong by every other country wow. in the world whenever they do anything international wow Nepal. Yeah, I gotta respect that. I think there is an entire subreddit just dedicated to incorrect depictions of Nepal's flag, (laughs) where they like link you to the correct ratios and stuff. It's a great subculture to be a part of. The Nepal flag correct squad. So Wales can take credit for two good flags. Good flag one is the the one with the dragon on it. Mm -hmm. I think good flag two is the red flag of socialism. Oh, flag creation. It's Welsh. Is it the same red as the dragon? Yeah, it's actually just really zoomed in dragon. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the it's same just, flag, yeah. Just different resolution. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you pop a big, big image into an existing project, it just doesn't yeah. really scale oh, it. Oh, shit, That's yeah. what we've done, yeah. But it's gone yeah. off to presses now. Sorry, I've already told the seamsters. <laughs> yeah, I just kept clicking through all the uh, proofs. I, was, I, yeah, wanted sorry, yeah. I wanted my dinner. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think someone sent me the wrong bounding boxes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I think. You know, the, the Nazis... Um, you yeah, know the know. Nazis. Uh, mm. They they uh, one of their big branding things was nicking stuff from socialism. So they had uh, Hitler was originally sent as a spy by the German government into the Nazis to, but then he got in because he was he the, the government thought it was like a radical left wing group because mm. it had uh, you know National Socialist German Workers Party in it. So it's got oh, it's got workers, it's got socialist. What's going on here? And that um, trick is still playing dividends that tr- now. <laughs> that trick is, yeah, that's a good trick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a bad trick, but it's an effective trick. Yeah, so so Hitler went in and then was like, hold on, this is actually brilliant. But he, you know, carried on the that branding operation with the with the Nazi flag, which obviously is red, and they slapped the, uh, the swastika on it. Um, and that was consciously about attracting the uh, very big German left. Well, what happened with that? They were actually, because I always thought it was mm. like, I guess, attract both camps at once. But like, surely 
they are a very big block in German society and they're probably not going to be tricked by a colour scheme. Yeah, absolutely. So how it, did that go? They fucked up in attracting the German left because the, the two social groups in Germany least susceptible to Nazism during the collapse of Weimar were Catholics and the left. So the idea of attracting the left, that, that didn't work. And then the other error they made there was by maintaining and keeping that leftist sheen to no necessary what's a minimal electoral advantage in terms of scooping up people from the actual german left they alienated the conservative elites so hindenburg was skeptic i know he eventually ends up appointing hitler chancellor etc but i think hindenburg and the other conservative elites were more skeptical of the nazis because they suspected them of having you know these anti-capitalist leanings Mm. And presumably, like, internationally, people who even less clue who the Nazis are are just going to see the flag and be like, these are radical lefts. If I'm, a fa if I'm some sort of fascist party in a neighbouring country, it would have been amenable to this. This flag's put me right off. <laughs> well, they did think... I mean, they, people still think that. Norman Tebbit wrote something in... A, you know, when it was all kicking off about, is Churchill a racist? And there were loads of articles pumped out about, like, Churchill's great, actually. Norman Tebbit mm. wrote, like, a actually Churchill's great article, which included describing the Nazis as uh, far leftists. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never can tell nowadays whether they're like actually tricked or it's convenient to be tricked. Are they thick or are they sneaky? My brain on that is like watching a single figure go through a board game of rat trap. Oh yeah, same. I don't know. Yeah, thick or sneaky. Yeah. There's a lot of evidence for thick, but then also they are very successful at what they do. I think it's its own dialectic. Mm. Yeah, the thick or sneaky. sneaky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's like a convection current. You've got to be like a water wheel. Sometimes you have you need to get enough awareness to propel yourself forward with your sneaky plans, and then you need to delve back into the depths of being absolutely thick, <laughs> believing the lies you published five years ago, getting utterly confused, getting yourself back together for another season of sneaky plans. <laughs> it's fucking sinister. It's sinister, though, Norman Tabbitt saying, you know, painting the Nazis as, as far left and therefore the entire Eastern Front of World War Two, as, like... Just one force. Yeah, it's just leftist infighting, Stalin versus... Yeah, Hitler. yeah. Fucking insane. It's just purity politics on the left there. But at the same time, the Nazis were the originators of the whole cultural Marxism, cultural Bolshevism at the time idea. Uh, mm -hmm. And one of the reasons the Soviets were... I mean, the, Soviet, the Soviets were shit scared of the Nazis because of the way they spoke about cultural Bolshevism and they were going to have this like war of extermination, you know, that whole like Lebensraum thing. They, uh, they, they either equated or saw parallels between Judaism and Soviet communism and wanted to just like fight a war of extermination against them. And again, of course, domestically, first they came for the communists. Do you know, mm. do you know uh, in American readings, or first they came for the communists, they skip the communists. Oh, really? They just don't say it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a few um, examples of like senators standing up saying like first they came for, and they say just someone different. Often yeah. they say first they came for the Jews and it's like... Well, then where do you go from there? Yeah, yeah, they've maxed it out then. Isn't that like famous? Yeah. They were the people who got the worst from the Nazis. I always um, thought that was supposed to be like the worst humanity yeah, has yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. start the poem, not a good poem starting on that. yeah. I mean, it's weird because they'll say, oh, the Nazis are like these evil far leftists. And then you'll hear other Tories using literal Nazi language as their yeah. own and just agreeing with it, like cult cultural Bolshevism, cultural Marxism. One of the, the, the Hydra heads seeking to replace Boris Johnson, the attorney general, Suella Braverman. She's spoken about like the threat of cultural Marxism. Mm. QC. 
Right. Well, again, that doesn't just Well, again, it's like it's not just infiltration of the uh, the toy parties. It's like lawyers. It's like the liberal uh, the liberal classes of the UK are yeah. uh, Nazi pilled. The Nazis are the progenitors in many ways of that idea of not saying quite what you mean and advancing it in concentric circles of symbolism mm, mm. until everyone's kind of captured by those values. And one thing I find quite interesting in terms of like post-Nazism is that a lot of the cultural debates about like what to do with these old statues mm, and relics mm. is like inverted in a lot of Germany and Austria because there the, it would be far more convenient for the right to remove them all and not have these reminders mm. of the Nazis because you want to distance yourself from the Nazis and let the Nazis fade from memory. Mm. And so a lot of the, the you know, liberals and the left say, no, keep these things around because we keep them, we can put them in their right context. Mm. And then they act as kind of a warning. In Vienna University, there is a uh, statue of a guy from one of Wagner's plays, The Ring Cycle. And he was at some point in that place stabbed in the back, which Ooh. the Nazis used as a kind of proxy for that stab in the back myth that socialists and Jews and others intentionally let down the front in World War One, mm. and that they are, you know, working against society. They're traitors, but they're not saying that explicitly. They're saying, we love this play. We love Wagner. Here's this guy from it. It's not explicitly saying anything. It's just symbolism. Mm. And so Vienna University has had a long-standing trouble with what to do about it. They don't want to remove it because a lot of the student body is saying, that's erasure of history. But they don't want to keep it because Nazis keep coming into it and saluting it. And then they have massive fights, right? The student body and these neo-Nazis are having massive fights in the centre of Vienna over this statue. What they have done with it is it is still there. They didn't remove it, but it is in a glass case. And on the case is an essay written by a Jewish historian about how to understand it in its correct context. So you can't even look at it <laughs> without being told what it is and why it's bad. But it's there. The generic version of Nazis rise to power, Weimar stuff you, you, you get in, in UK schools, unless your teachers uh, decided to spend some of their limited time, <laughs> their very limited time on, on trying to correct it kind of sort of repeats that stab the like the, the stab in the back myth in a way that gives it some legitimacy you know the treaty of versailles the idea that it was like uniquely severe but it, you you teach it without the context of like the brest litovsk treaty that hindenburg and co imposed on the soviets which was mm. far far worse yes it, it, you know the negotiators of that treaty were a lot of them were socialist but the socialist leaders were in power because there'd been a revolution in Germany. And that was, mm. was one of the key things in what ended the war is there was like, you know, so Hindenburg and Ludendorff, who obviously come back, uh, Ludendorff's involved in the fucking Munich putsch, which he gets off. Um, so, he's, he's, you know, he's almost involved in a coup and his defence is, I was there accidentally. Mm. What the fuck? Hindenburg ends up appointing Hitler chancellor. Um, these two are like effectively running the government because the Kaiser you know, doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. You know, oversimplification of the end of the war. Uh, but they, they, the high command sort of think, oh, well, we fuck this, we're doomed. Let's just send all the soldiers and sailors to die in like a glorious last wave of mass death. And then the sailors mutiny and are like, well, no, because we don't want to die. So it's not like this, the socialist leaders ended a war that was being won. It's like the, the soldiers and sailors themselves rose up against mm. the military leadership like 
no, we don't want to carry on this war. And then obviously, why is it called Weimar? It's called Weimar because it was established in the town Weimar because uh, it was a result of, there was like two simultaneous revolutions. One which was uh, almost a liberal revolution, which is, brings about the Weimar Republic. And the other, which was a communist revolution. Obviously, Berlin was under the control of communists. The, the stab in the back myth was it was it was very beneficial to the government that, that had actually lost the war to have that transition of power to the Weimar government. And then the, uh, this idea that it was that government that had lost the war, this brand new government, it's just it's fucked up. Um, but it wasn't, the thing is, it wasn't a uniquely um, Nazi piece of propaganda. It was like a mainstream conservative idea. And one that mm. still persists, this idea of like, you know, the elites betraying the people. Somehow the powerful are the, uh, are the left. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you're so easily co-opted, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've been betrayed by an external other. Okay, who specifically? Uh, don't pin me down on that. I might want to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but then that same thing of like the the the, the, the Tory the, the conservatives of, of 1920s Weimar were talking about being stabbed in the back and betrayed. All that cultural, you know, Berlin was the kind of cultural uh, progressive capital of the world in the 1920s. And this idea that okay, some people have an influence over some aspects of culture is equivalent to like. The, the right's continued power in politics, the military, the courts, who mm. owns the media, which is the same as now of like the, the culture war is the right cosplaying as victims while they control almost every mechanism of power imaginable. Mm. <laughs> it's really interesting. <laughs> it, it's definitely like an object lesson in like, don't give the reactionaries what they want because they only get angrier. Yeah, 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 yeah. They've got everything in there fuming. Um, but they're angrier than yeah, yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. Because they're being made angrier than ever because of the, the the just absolute sewage that is the the British press just kind of pumps the shit out into people's brains constantly, every day, forever. And all, one thing I would say is that probably the left do have less power now than they did in 1920s Germany because in 1920s Germany they had like massive trade unions. Oh, and like the left has less power than it's had in like a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's been an eroding the power of the left until it is going to become comparable with like some point in the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked. When people keep talking about like the culture war and cancel culture mm. and stuff, I never know like when it began because... The same stuff about like political correctness and you can't say anything now and stuff. For, that was yes, going on when I was a child and now it's going on now. And before What we makes were born. this any different? Yeah. I think there is like, I remember the rhetoric was more about like bleeding hearts, mm. wasting everyone's time, getting in the way of like the march of progress was maybe the framing. But now it feels like it's way more about co opting narratives of victimhood mm. to say like, oh no. A 17-year-old has destroyed my media industrial complex. <laughs> I'm, I'm the injured party. I'm yeah. sad. And did you know, actually, just to, say, just to say as well, you know, I might be a media mogul. I might have been, you know, chief whip <laughs> for the Labour Party. But actually, you know, sometimes I have mental health problems as well because I'm, I'm a human being as well. In between doing the things I do, and let's not talk about them, I have <laughs> some emotions that are negative. Amongst others, but I like Alistair Campbell specifically because he yeah. killed a lot of people and then later did a whole I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> part, of your, part of your hopes, it's a generational thing, right? It's, it's, it's reactionary boomers and centrist, but still reactionary Gen X. They have the jobs where you write opinion pieces in the Times yeah. and et cetera. 
and the, the Times and the Telegraph and the Spectator um, and the Guardian. And then that just determines the constant churn because it's cheap rather than pay investigative journalists. It's cheap to just pay for these opinion pieces and then make opinion TV shows that are like supposedly news. You know, it's the, it's the death rattle of this stuff. You hope. That's what you want to hope <laughs> of like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very depressing when you're just like, well, maybe in 30 years all these people will be dead. Uh, they, they were, yeah, but that doesn't matter, right? Because then I've formed other people into them by rocketing into jobs. Yeah, there'll be new ones. What I will say is that I think, okay, so like journalism is dead, and I think that's like known about. Like, RIP. Every time, just in terms of like someone who's on social media, mm. every time you'll see like a million journalists around the world, because obviously these things get um, syndicated and they're associate, associated press sites, so every story gets, like, splintered off and then repeated, yeah. like, 17 times, and then that one 17 times. And so there's quite a lot of media frenzies that are just caused by someone saw a tweet, did not fact-check it, and then it's on the news. <laughs> and it's like, how can that be your... Like, how did yeah. you... Journalism, I thought, requires a degree. Like, I thought it's so competitive to do journalism. It's such a hard industry. And then there are people who will publish things that will then go around the world. And it'd be like, fact-checking this would have taken five seconds. Yeah. But I don't think people even do have five seconds now because it's all turnaround. And that's why it's all opinion journalism because it's got to be cheap churn, cheap churn. Well, you don't have to fact-check an opinion. No. But I do think that, that, that what I take as my solace is that there's not a lot of people actually allowed to push that first domino. Mm. It's not very many people. And this, the sheer amount of stuff here that's just like downstream froth from someone getting sick at the top of a mountain. Talking about just like wokeness and cancel culture, the amount of people you would like hear in like pub beer gardens or, or particularly will talk to you because you're a comedian. Mm. Oh, yeah. And will go like... Listen, they've made it so you can't do anything. I love asking them, well, what do you want to do? What is the thing you want to say? And they go, uh, you won't get me to say that here because I'm not allowed to say it. <laughs> uh, I'm just interested. What is it? <laughs> just whisper in my ear. Just whisper in my ear. Yeah. You know, uh, no, I can't, I can't. I don't think you'd like it, I think. It sounds funny. <laughs> Aren't you talking about a joke? We all love yeah, it. We I love to laugh. Joke. Here's my joke. Here's my joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? And then they recite the entire of Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood. <laughs> <laughs> Anders Brevik's manifesto. Yeah, yeah. So it's too long, you know. <laughs> He's <laughs> a bunch of gave you five. Yeah, so you've only got five minutes up there. It's yeah, just an audition yeah. slot. You can't do all of that. It's long. It's a really long speech. <laughs> you've got to put more stuff at the top, you know. <laughs> People have these, like, cancel culture things, but they've always attached it to their specific pastime. Like, someone was telling me they um, were saying, they saw someone saying that, Wokeism has destroyed Panto. Oh, for fuck's sake. That's classic. My crazy golf course is making less money than ever because of the wokes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. LGBT golf, crazy golf. Yeah, people aren't even buying my, you know, meat donuts because mm. of the people on Twitter are saying I haven't cooked it all the way through. <laughs> you know, what happened to our rights? <laughs> <laughs> Our <laughs> right to have a really racist image on the marmalade. I've heard red-faced older men say, You can't say anything these days. In three separate decades now. I never lived through the 60s or the 70s. Maybe it was a time when no statement provoked any hostility. Getting on the bus, telling the bus driver you're going to fuck their wife, telling your colleagues you're gay, telling your boss you're a gay communist and you're going to fuck their wife. It sounds like a chill and calm place where no thoughts or values were worth defending and language had been reduced to mere sound. 
the downstream of reactionary propaganda are sincere believers of cancel culture as a genuine scourge. I don't think a majority of comedians really believe in it beyond a reactionary fringe, but I've met a lot of people who believe in it for me or at me, or I've done interviews where I've been asked to detail the new censorious horizon in British comedy. And when I say I think it's nonsense, I watch their face drop in a way that signals to me that this will, ironically, be edited out. And to those people, I wanna say, if you really believe in this, are there not better people to blame? For example, if I'm let go from my job at B&M Bargains because I keep making TikToks about how people from Kent smell like shoes and everyone's getting mad at me, why is there nothing made of my boss sacking me? Do they not have any obligations towards me? Like, if it's fine and acceptable for me to be saying that people from Canterbury smell like Doc Martens that have been fished out of a canal, then surely I shouldn't be sacked for it. If peer pressure is not a good enough excuse to justify me smoking a joint on the super trap, then it shouldn't be a good enough excuse for my employer to chuck me out of my ass because a bunch of people who use soap made out of insoles start clogging up the company emails. And these sorts of pylons are always mediated or characterized in some way by social media. The woke mob is usually synonymous with Twitter. And if there is any moat or something interesting or reasonable or coherent in what the cancel culture reactionaries are trying to describe, it is the hostility and the drama that are associated with those online spaces. And yet, that seems to be something they are incredibly incurious about. Social media profits from context collapse. Context collapse is the phenomenon when a given piece of communication has too many distinct audiences. Obviously, everyone communicates differently to different people. When I say hello to a dog, I might say, you're such a good boy, you're such a good boy, which is not how I would speak when I accidentally lock eyes with another man at the urinal. Usually we know who we're speaking to and can adjust what we're saying. But online, that is very harder. We cannot predict who will see our idle thoughts. It is easy to be lulled into a false sense of security with your 17 followers of hardcore anarcho-communist reptile collectors. But suddenly an incendiary tweet like, I hated last night's episode of The Big Monkey Slides Through a Tube. I think the monkey should be put into a cement mixer. And suddenly there's 10,000 strangers fogging up the window with their voyeuristic mouth fog. They don't know you. They don't know you're just posting shit so your mates can see. If anything, the sheer attention of that tweet provides its own context. Why would people be sharing this if it wasn't the most extreme version of itself? This person is going to kill the big monkey that goes through a tube. In 2018, Facebook's own research team warned them that their algorithm exploits the human brain's attraction to divisiveness. Unheeded, it was discovered in 2021 Facebook leaks that the algorithm was still boosting posts that make people angry or upset. Twitter self-reported that it's more likely to promote right-wing politicians than left-wing politicians. In a paper called Outgroup Animosity Drives Engagement on Social Media, researchers from Cambridge and New York universities worked on engagement rates and behaviours around millions of posts from American politicians to news sites, and they found there is a perverse incentive at the heart of the social media attention economy. If you post horrible shit, your numbers go up. And as a critic, you can quote tweet the horrible shit to say, this sucks, and your numbers go up too. 
It is almost a symbiotic relationship. Far from being an echo chamber, social media is now where you go to be exposed to the things you hate the most because nothing increases your time on an app more than getting angry and upset. An experience cultivated to sell ad space. In between a video of a Palestinian being shot in the head and a Guardian colonist likening gender non-conformity to the Third Reich is an advert for a zap ice lolly. The promise of what social media could be, its unparalleled power to lend voice to the voiceless, educate, share points of view you otherwise could not be socially exposed to. That is unique and worth protecting. But its fundamental design and the behaviors it induces in us is being hollowed out and corrupted by profit motives. And so if you are incensed by a culture war or cancel culture, is there nothing you have to say for the companies that tend to its fires, profit from the polarization? Or am I giving you guys too much credit? Are you just playing your part in the culture war, doing a shift in the attention economy? Do you have a deep-rooted concern for the state of self-expression? Or are you saying incendiary shit for clout? Boomers who don't work anymore because they've got a final salary pension, living in a house they've already paid, they paid off 15 years ago, feeling like they have nothing, really, really angry because their son does not text them. That's cancel culture. That's, that's cancelled. That's being cancelled. Cancelled by my estranged children. <laughs> Just for constantly criticising their appearance. <laughs> I reckon that is a thing, though, of boomers who have said an insane thing, had their child challenge them on it, and they are so like emotionally immature and unable to have a con reflect or have a constructive conversation that they just don't reflect on anything they think, and then they're estranged from their child. Oh yeah, <laughs> or their I grandchild, mean... and then they're fuming that they're not getting the communication from their grandchild, and then that distills into their fucking Nazi ideology. But what's weird is like when the boomers are doing the things that you would consider like the censorious face of cancel culture. Mm. I'm going to tell a story of two things I've witnessed in comedy clubs. Okay, so I saw John Cairns doing a routine in Leeds at some point. I think John's tops. Mm. And he was doing a bit. And it was the setup involves talking about some of the cast of Dad's Army and him realising <laughs> how old some of them are. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he was saying there's a guy in this sitcom that I grew up with and he was alive during World War One. And this woman on the front row says, they saved all our lives, you know. And he's going, what? What? She says, they saved our lives, you know. If it weren't for them, we'd have been invaded. And he was saying, I haven't said anything about soldiers of World War I. I'm not, I'm not about to criticise them. This isn't really about that. And she says, yeah, well, all right. <laughs> wow. And like, she's interrupted because she is terrified. She's ready, there's going yeah. to be some slight against our brave boys in Flanders Field. But there hasn't been anything. And if there, uh, presumably if there was, he was about to go, everyone in World War I was a fucking idiot and I hate them. You know, she'd have kicked off big time. Yeah. Which would be, on the face of it, this is like cancel culture, censorious people kicking off, can't say anything in comedy these days. Mm. But you could just never imagine in a million years it'd be covered with, you know, the yes. most obvious framing yes. of the generation. <laughs> yeah. And then I also remember the worst time of like a comedian evoking cancel culture was watching Glenn Wool in a very small room, not doing very well, and then tell everyone it was because they were snowflakes and they couldn't <laughs> handle it. That's classic com uh, comedian breakdown. 
What is it? What's the shit. audience supposed to do after that? <laughs> what's what's the plan? What's the plan? That isn't something you say when you're trying to turn the room around. You've just decided yes. to be in a mood. I think it's maybe an ego protecting thing of yeah. like, I won't reflect on what happened here. They are at fault. But like, what's what is the audience's obligation in this new? cancel culture world to enjoy mm. everything that happens on stage is the obligation of the performer sort of vanishing now you know is it cancel culture to be um die on stage because it's boring is it cancel culture <laughs> to die on stage because you've overrun is it cancel culture to die on stage because you're in you know the counting house at the fringe and it's too hard you yeah. know are these things all cancel culture i'm not i'm not really sure what the line is yeah. was it cancel culture when i had to perform in a national competition directly after a hurricane warning <laughs> <laughs> was that cancel culture <laughs> because the the mc who was opening the show had to be um had to cut you know like the mc yeah. for the for the he had to cut his like warm-up stuff to talk down. about hurricane to be like, we're getting things and the winds are actually going so high, we might need to evacuate. Anyway, I'm, I, I can't go any longer. Here's our first act. And I'm like, Cheers, yeah. this is cancel culture. Where's my rights? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever had to sign an NDA? Can't talk about it. I think you can disclose you're not allowed to disclose. Otherwise, suddenly people you know will start acting weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either they're being mind controlled or someone signed an NDA. But they're mad, right? Because all the NDAs I've signed... Uh, well, a couple of mm. things to do with politics, but but mostly of them been to do with comedy. Mm. And the stuff I'm not allowed to disclose is the most inane, bizarre stuff that no one would want to know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, in order to work on mm. any media projects, you have to sign these things. And I had to look over some. And a lot of these are written with such a long scope that I'm not allowed to talk about certain shows long after they've been broadcast. Wow. So I don't even know. I don't even know what it covers. Like a show comes up on TV. It goes, "Have you seen this? Do you like this?" And I'm like, I, c I can't say because I could be taken to court. Fucking hell! And it's always like because you know, three years ago, I auditioned to the part to play like a tulip that loves cryptocurrency or something, and now I've got to watch my words. <laughs> The culture wars is just a whole bunch of wedge issues mm. that are acting as a proxy for like a shift in social values as mm. mediated by the right as a kind of smokescreen for predominantly hate speech. And, and a cover for them having no substantive solution to any of the problems of the modern world. Like well, it's one of the reasons kids like in poverty or climate change. Nigel Farage has always been one of the most deft political actors because he never allowed himself to win. He always <laughs> left the parties yeah. that were about to succeed yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's, it, reacting from the sidelines is great. Leading mm. from victory is hard when you are a reactionary. Yeah. Your modus operandi is to say that this person that's more powerful than me is my enemy. I'd do it better. Great for his personal brand. And then also he has the benefit of his ideology being victorious. I mean, he directly helped, you know, he made an electoral pact in 2019 that helped mm. these Johnson's Tories get in. I mean, what does Farage disagree with them on? Yeah, well, right. it's a great pact because uh, it keeps him out of power. Yeah, and it keeps him the, un keeps him the underdog. Um, yeah. It's great stuff. And also, just to clarify as well, it's like, I, I hate those uh, people on the left who are like, listen, we need to, there, there is no culture war. It's not real as if like fucking trans people's lives aren't endangered by this stuff or mm. like th this, the idea that certain things are material and certain things are this in this other category of culture war that matters less. Yeah. yeah. Ideas are a kind of material. Yes. They're like a, cl they're like a cloud. If your materialism <laughs> can't account for clouds, then you're going to get rained on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of the big you know, issues that always is acting in the smokescreen is free speech. Mm. Speech 
is not free in a million ways. Got to pay for podcast hosting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where are the megabytes going to go? <laughs> My opinions must have an outlet. Liable stuff, copyright, mm. military secrets, in injunctions against people talking about, you know, you shagging when you're a footballer. Mm. If someone knows or figures out how you make a bloody vacuum cleaner part and you tell mm. someone down the pub that's illegal there's like a million things that are illegal in favor of people with yeah. money power or who own the means of production including intellectual property yeah and that forces other people to not be able to like speak freely and then even outside the legal stuff i can't be like my boss sucks i'm gonna put it on facebook my boss sucks i hate them <laughs> you know that's yeah. free speech but I think it will affect some of your material conditions when that goes viral. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they'll retweet. I do suck. I'm horrible. Go back to work. <laughs> yeah, I've been called out here. Yeah, like like a yeah. Louis C.K. apology tweet from your boss. Yeah, yeah. I've heard what you're saying. I suck. I'm a bad boss. I'm trying to grow, and I will speak to all of you about it. Talking to you from maybe some sort of gang rail while you all work in the factory below. <laughs> I'll, sh I'll shout it through the reverberating concrete complex as you sweat in the heat, making little screws for Tonka trucks. <laughs> Imagine doing that and your bosses just can't. You don't know where they are because it's so echoey and they're just going, I'm sorry. <laughs> On the tannoy. No, they're shouting. Oh, God. It's, like it's like a Resident Evil boss. You don't really know where they are. Just constantly hear them. I'm sorry. <laughs> I actually say, I feel like I was right, but I'm saying sorry because I know yeah. that's what to say to make you like me again. It's more that I'm listening rather than I will change. Yeah. <laughs> and while you're listening to this, by the way, don't slow down with what you're doing. <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean with additional music from Sean Morley. Thank you for listening to Mandos and thanks so much to those of you who support us by sharing this episode on social media as well as those of you who support our work at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party where you can find further ammo for the ongoing culture war. Stay safe out there. Look after each other. Mandos.